So just for a moment, think about that, right? So 2,000 years ago, a child was born to a woman claiming to be a virgin. Uh, we could call this a bastard child, if you will. Not only was this child born to a woman claiming to be a virgin, but then in humble circumstances, this child was raised as a carpenter for 30 years in a nothing town, humble Nazareth, no repute or no big fanfare or anything like that. And then this guy had the audacity to make some bold claims, right? He claimed, number one, that he was the promised Messiah. Not only did he claim to be the promised Messiah, but he rewrote the definition of what the Messiah was. He said, not only am I the Messiah, but as the Messiah, I have the authority to forgive sins. Not only do I have the authority to forgive sins, but if you kill me and place me in a tomb, I'll conquer death and I'll rise. I mean, these are bold claims, right? These are claims of a madman. These are absurd claims. But they're only absurd if what? If you can't back them up. <laughs> Happy Easter, church! <laughs> he laid claim and he conquered it and validated it by rising from the grave. Happy Easter, he is risen. Oh, only the people over 40 know what to say. Come on, young people. He is risen. He is risen indeed is what we say Easter. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Happy Easter. You may be seated. Well, that is what we come to celebrate today, guys. These crazy claims. This crazy claim that, again, is only validated if you can really conquer death. And that's exactly what Jesus did. So listen. Let me go and tell you some things. You look sharp this morning. You look sharp. You look great. Um, as a matter of fact, tell the person next to you that they look great. Tell them they look great. I know it's awkward if they're not related to you and all that kind of stuff. Um, and Easter marshmallow peeps are great. I hope you get marshmallow peeps out the wazoo. Um, but we come to celebrate Christ. I mean, and, and that's what we're going to do today. Um, we're just going to celebrate, and, and as I've kind of thought about the way to do this, we've done this in several ways at Safe Haven. We have celebrated through inviting the whole community to parties. Um, we definitely learned lessons that. I don't even have to mention it, and some of you already start giggling. Um, we've had big parties with hot air balloons, and um, we've done in-depth logical studies of the proofs of the resurrection. So we've gone party mode, we've gone intellectual mode. If you are here and you wrestle with the true claims of the resurrection, that's on our website. You can go find that. We've done both of those. And so coming to Easter Sunday morning, I thought about, okay, well, what are we going to do this Sunday morning? And I'm just telling you, Matthew chapter 5, we're journeying through the book of Matthew as a church, and we've made it to chapter 5, verse 13 and 16. And in God's sovereignty, I don't think there's anything better we can do than just honor the text of Scripture this morning. So we're going to hang out exactly where the Lord has us as a church in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 and 18 for just a second. Um, it took me 21 minutes in the, in the 9 o'clock service. Uh, that's my Easter gift to you. <clears throat> but this is the second service, so it does go a little longer, so give me 23 minutes and, and, uh, and we'll get you out of here. 
But I do want to look at this. I don't want to skip over what's going on here in the text. I believe this is the word of God for us today, and we'll let it um, speak to us. But before I get to this resurrection word, um, I was chewing through with a budding theologian here at, at the church. Her name is Anna Rose Bell, and I was chewing through her uh, with, with her this week through some uh, theology, and particularly this doctrine that's called the Union of Christ. And when we were talking through it, I didn't know that it would become the intro for the message today, but I really think it hammers home everything that this text is saying. And if we don't understand union with Christ, then we really won't understand this famous passage about salt and light. We'll walk away thinking, okay, I need to get more salty or I need to get more lighty, and we'll just miss it all together. We really won't understand who we are in Christ. And so my intro is going to seem like we're kind of flying a plane around but I promise you we're going to land it on the right strip, <laughs> okay? But to get to this, in Christ, as a believer, it's far more than just metaphor. It's far more than just symbolism. It's deep, deep truth. It's, it's something like this. You hear this phrase a lot of times, well, I asked Jesus into my heart, right? And it's just kind of symbolic. And, and I'm telling you, this doctrine shows us that in Christ, we're more than that. Or this, somebody's in a real hard space in life, and what do we say for them? Well, I'll pray that God's with you. And it's just kind of this symbolic with you or in you or whatever. And it's deeper than that if we dive into the text of Scripture. I want to remind us right off the bat who we are in Christ and that our union with Christ is profoundly real and intensely personal. It's deep and it's meaningful, and the resurrection has way more meaning than pastel colors. All right? All right, so we're going to kind of look at this real fast. The Bible says this way, and it's going to pop up on the screen. Watch this. This is what the Bible says about you if you're a believer. Here's who you are. It says this, Romans 8, chapter 1, that in Christ we're justified. 8.30, that in Christ we're glorified. That in Christ, 1 Corinthians 1, 2, you're sanctified. 1, 9, in Christ we're called. Ephesians 2, in Christ we're made alive. 2 Corinthians 5, in Christ we are brand new. We're morphed into something different presently and as an eternal reality. That in Christ we are adopted, Galatians says. That in Christ we are elected, as Ephesians 1 says. And all of these are awesome, but they're only the tip of the iceberg. This is already who you are, but these are just the benefits of who you are in Christ. So let's keep going. It gets better than this. You ready for the goods? All right, here we go. Our, our, our union gets way more, um, I'm going to make up some words today, Eastery, if you will. They get, it gets way more Eastery with who you are in Christ. Look at this. Ephesians 2 says this, that as believers, we are created in Christ. The Galatians 2.20, we are crucified in Christ. That Colossians 2 says this, we are buried with Christ. Romans 6 says that we are baptized into Christ. Romans goes on to say this, that we are united with Christ in his resurrection. How many of you woke up this morning thinking, I feel a part of the resurrected Christ. This, like, this is deep stuff. Here we go. Hang on with me. Hang on. We'll get to chocolate peeps in a minute. All right? 
Ephesians 2 says that not only are we resurrected in Christ, we are raised with Him in heavenly places, that Galatians 4 says that Christ is formed in Christ, that believers are formed in Christ. Ephesians 3 says that Christ now dwells in our hearts. Philippians 3 says that believers are found in Christ. And Ephesians 5 says the church is one flesh with Christ. This is way more than symbolism. If you're in Christ, this is who you are. That's good stuff. Are you riding the bike with me yet? Huh? Are, you, are you getting on the journey yet? Okay, maybe this will help. Because a lot of us, if you're like me, are visual learners. It gets even better than that. Here's who you are in Christ. Are y'all ready? You ain't ready. But we're going to do it anyway, right? This is who you are in Christ. It's a poor bowl, right? N- n- nothing great, nothing grand. Um, pretty simple. But this is nonetheless who you are. Here's what Scripture says that you are in Christ, united with Him, grafted with Him, if you will. The Bible says this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, that if you're a believer, Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Now that already starts changing some stuff, doesn't it? Your color changes a little bit, if you will. You begin tasting a little more salty, maybe a little more lighty, right? Right? Already, this is who you are. In you, Christ, the hope of glory. Your former state, mm, take it, leave it, kind of garbage. Christ in you, hope of glory. Now we talking, baby. All right? But it doesn't stop there. For the believer, Colossians then goes on to say this. Christ is in you, but you are now hidden in God. Shut up. Right? Right? So now, not only change from the inside, now change from the outside, you're still really there, but your whole identity is changing, and it doesn't stop. Better than not only peeps, but candy cotton peeps they invented this year it is. This is better than that because Ephesians goes on to say that in Christ you are also sealed with the Spirit of the living God. That's you. You may not feel like it, but if you trust your feelings, they'll lead you astray every time. But the truth of the gospel is this, that in Christ, He is hidden in you, you are hidden in God, and you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. What can get to you? No one or nothing. But this is only true if Christ validates his claim, which he did on Easter Sunday morning. Now, does that make sense? This is you. So, believer, I'm going to leave this here. And if you go off in Wonderland worrying about your uh, ham that's going to burn, just go back to here, all right? Just go back to here or look at the cross. Go somewhere else. But remember who you are. And I say all that to say this. If we don't understand this, you will not understand Matthew chapter 5, 13 through 16. You'll think that in your own effort, you can become more salty and more lighty, and you will miss it, that it's only through the power of the gospel that you'll become either. That's it. And so, we're going to look at that text today. 
Our outlook changes, our identity changes, our purpose changes, everything changes. God somehow in the gospel made me, who was formerly son of Charlie and Cindy Nicholson, son of the king of glory. And he did the same for you. He rewrote your name if you're in Christ. Now, the resurrection ensures that everything that Jesus said is 100% true for the believer. I've read this passage a hundred times. I've probably heard it preached more than that. And I'm seeing this a whole fresh and anew with this in mind. Now let's look at the text today for our Easter Sunday morning. Let me pray over the text real quick before we dive in um, and just honor the word. Lord Jesus, if, if you don't speak through your word, everything that's said will be in vain. And so Lord, move this bald-headed dude aside. God, speak. Speak, speak, let your word pop off the page and sit in our souls and, and transform us and morph us into more like you. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you. <laughs> that is, uh, Brother Peterson reminded me this morning that early Sunday morning you woke up with all the power. God, I pray today that by your spirit you will let your power sit here in this gym for just a moment. Meet with us. And show us that because who we are is united in Christ, what we become necessarily. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, y'all ready to dive in? Matthew chapter 5, 13 through 16. Let's look at the text of Scripture together. Here's what it says. You are salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And I'm going to be dead honest with you. Every time I've ever heard this message taught, I've always heard the latter part about don't lose your saltiness and completely skip right over the fact that it says not you might be salt of the earth, but it says you are salt of the earth. In Christ, this is who you are if you're a believer. You taste a little bit zesty tangy you bring something to life and jesus says it this way you are salt of the earth so point number one today is this because you're united with the resurrected christ you are salty <laughs> you're salty that's what you do you add spice you make life more tasty you bring out the flavor words i put in my notes were you add pop zing and an undeniable additive that's what you do. That's who you are if you're a believer in Christ. You add joy by living out and pointing to the greatest love story ever told. As you live out the gospel, you bring joy to life. As you live out the gospel, you bring zest to life. You bring ping. Have y'all been to Blaze Pizza yet? It, uh, don't hit me if you're a Pyros fan. It dominates Pyros. Dominates. It is good stuff, Right? The owner doesn't go here. We don't get any kickbacks. It is an awesome pizza. You, you, they make it in front of you, all that kind of stuff. Well, the other day, I, I, we walked through there, and I, and I went through, and the guy goes, hey, do you want me to add salt to your pizza? And I was like, why not? You're adding everything else, right? And he adds salt, which was the worst decision I ever made, <laughs> because the rest of my pizza, now I ate Julie Beth's pizza. That's why I could, you know. Um, but the salt, it, it, it infiltrated everything. That's the power of salt. It, it adds stuff. And so Jesus says, as a believer, that's who you are. You, you necessarily make people taste Jesus. You are salty. You add spice. 
But not only that, in this culture, not only was salt known as an additive, it was also known as a preservative, much like we have today. So in other words, Jesus is saying this, as a believer united in the resurrection of Christ, you are a preserving mechanism to the world. You ever thought about that? Here's what I'm trying to say. I believe Jesus is saying to believers, in me, you will keep the world from imploding on itself by default. Believers do that. You have the role of helping the world not implode on itself by chasing after its own sinful desires. The church does that. that is, it's a preserving nature. Now, sometimes you'll hear people say this, no, no, no. The church is what causes all the evil in the world. That's how they make you feel on the news, right? If you're a believer, you're the one, you're the bad one, you're the humdrum. That is not only wrong, but I'll also go ahead and argue that it's borderline satanic to argue that. The church is what brings zest. This is what the Lord says. We are preserving mechanism. R.C. Sproul says it this way. It's not an overstatement to say that Christians have literally kept the world from barbarianism. Here's what the church does. Here's what you are about. The church, did you know, was what began hospitals. The church is what began orphanages. The church is what began universities. The church is what began Renaissance architecture. The church is what brings about moralism. The church brings about art. The church is in everything. I love this about Bach. I don't listen to much Bach, right? But I do love this about Bach. Bach, on every one of his compositions, at the very bottom, did you know this? Fun fact. He would write S-D-G. Now you go, well, that doesn't sound like his initials. It wasn't. What he did was write S-D-G, meaning sola de gloria. Everything that Bach ever wrote, he said, came from the Lord and is for the glory of the Lord. It infiltrates everything, and that's what we're to be about. Our task is to infiltrate everything with a little bit of zest and a little bit of preserving spirit, uh, uh, preserving um, additive of the Lord to keep the world from imploding on itself. So what about this whole lose its taste thing? I don't think Jesus is saying that salt can lose its taste. And you say, well, that's what it said. I, okay, back up with me. Jesus created salt, right? He knows what sodium chloride is. Sodium chloride can't, in and of itself, lose its taste. It's, it's impossible. I, in other words, I don't think we're going to bebop up into heaven one day, right? And go, hey, Jesus, man, thankful for everything you did, but I really need to correct you on one thing. You said salt could lose its saltiness, and it can't. And Jesus go, gosh almighty, how, how did that happen? How did, I don't think that's what he's saying. I think it's a rhetorical question. In other words, if you're in me, you won't lose your salt. How can it lose its salt? And he goes, it's rhetorical. You can't. You won't. Why? Because I will make you salty. So that's one thing. And then number two, I think what he's going on is cultural in its aspect. I think what the Lord is saying is part of me in the resurrected state, you are by nature not to mix yourself with other additives. Because culturally, we have Morton's salt, right? It's a refined, pure salt that we shake out of the little thing. Fill up our, you know, whatever. <clears throat> they didn't have that. They got their salt from the Dead Sea. 
And so when they went down to the Dead Sea, it wasn't refined in Morton's little packages. They had to gather it. And if you gather the salt the wrong way, you'll pick up, by default, some rocks and some grime and some all kind of stuff, and, and they would put that in a bag. And so if they put that in the bag, and if any moisture got in it, the moisture would mix with the salt, it would leak out of the bag, and guess what's left? They get home, open up the bag, and what's still in it? Rocks and mud. And so Jesus is saying this, he's saying, listen, you are salt of the earth. Don't find yourself mixed and muddied so much with the world that you become so deluded that you lose, in essence, your saltiness. You're of me. You don't need anything else. Be in me. You are salt. Believers, this Sunday, I want to tell you that in Christ, that's what you're made to be. Salt of the world. Jesus says this. Here's the point. In the risen Christ, don't dilute your identity with anyone else or anything else. And I don't have to go around the room and give examples because you know what you're prone to dilute yourself with. Don't get all rocky. You're salt. Don't get all grimy. You're salt. You're purified in Christ. Don't jump into a bag full of garbage. You're salt. That's point number one. And then I also think he's saying this is if you're going to be salty and if you're going to be preservative, dadgum it, church. Get out of the salt shaker. <laughs> Get out of the salt shaker. I think we find ourselves in Christ and go, well, the way to stay in Christ is I become a holy little huddle and we climb in that comfy little shaker. And Jesus is going, get out! Get out of the shaker, which is, I think, point number two. Let's keep going. You are the salt of the earth. And then he says this, you are the light of the world. Because you're united in the resurrected Christ, you are lighty. Again, I know that's not a word, but that's who you are. Live it out. In other words, number one, I would say this, I think, what does light do? Well, it glows. It radiates. It shines. You glow via deflection. Now, Christ's light originates within himself, but as believers, our light is borrowed light. We radiate only what comes through him. We could liken this to the moon, right? The moon in and of itself has no glowing power. But what does the moon do? As the sun shines on it, the atmosphere reflects it. We are by nature deflectors of light. We glow, we radiate, we shine, we penetrate darkness. I love this because, man, I'm telling you, Everything that I ever heard growing up felt like, and again, I always want to say, I'm not sure if it's what I was taught or what I just interpreted. It's probably me. It's, it's my fault for interpreting this way. But something like this, that if you're going to be a Christian, then you need to walk away from everybody and everything else and go live on a hill by yourself and be a light that the world looks at and shines. There's one problem with that. I don't think that's what Jesus did. <laughs> right? As a light, he didn't go set up a light on a hill somewhere else. He came right smack dab in the middle of the darkness and said, here's my hill, I'm going to shine. <laughs> Get in the mix. Ministry looks yucky and mucky sometimes. And if your life in ministry doesn't look yucky and mucky, then I wonder if you're in ministry or not. 
You are called, don't you, Troy, you're the one called to be in ministry. Number one, you hadn't been in safe haven very long, if that's what you believe. <laughs> Number two, let me rewrite that. That's garbage. You're called to be in ministry wherever you're at. You are a light in the midst of darkness. Shine. And this is where the song comes from. You thought I was going to sing it, didn't you? <laughs> Not going to. Todd Blue's going to come up here and sing it. So here we go. Uh, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. That's weak sauce, right? That is weak sauce. Hide it under a bushel. I'm going to let it shine, right? This is where this comes from, and it's true. You ever noticed how sometimes theologically stout kids' songs are? This one is a robust one. This is exactly what Jesus is saying. You are light. Why on earth would you hide me under a basket? You're light. And when you shine, some people are going to go, Ooh, I don't like that. But it's not up to you to worry about whether they're going to like it or not. You shine because that's who you are. Stand for the Lord when no one else will. Why? Because he's the resurrected Christ in you, around you, and sealing you. We're light. And so, as we are lights, there is this potential of being hidden. Number one, by separating ourselves. But again, this is an absurdity. Christ uses this grand illustration of this candle. Nobody in this culture would ever buy a candle, light it in their room, which was part of their budget, right? We have the luxury of going to flip it on switches. Andrew could hit that switch right now, light on, light off. We don't even have to flip a switch. We can clap. <laughs> clap on, clap off the clapper, right? Did anybody ever buy that, by the way? Did it work? Okay, we'll talk afterwards, right? This was their budget. They spent their money on this. And he says, who in the world would go buy a candle and then put a box over it? Shine, is what Jesus says. In other words, the risen Christ in you will cause you to glow. So what is your role? Bask in him still more and glow even brighter. That's what the world needs. The world doesn't need more church people who claim to know the light on Sunday and walk out of the door and deny him Monday through Saturday. He don't deny you. Why would you deny him? You're light. Live as light. And then also light dispels darkness. At your home, at your work, in your language, in your actions... In your attitudes, like all of those are preaching at me, not you. <laughs> so if you're like, yeah, man, why is Troy talking about my language, actions, attitude? I ain't talking about you. I'm talking about me. On social media, in your war with sin, in your choices, shine like light. And then in doing so, watch what happens. Verse 16, and we wrap it up. Verse 16 says this, in the same way. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Now, this is what I like to call the great bypass. What do I mean by that? There's a way to shine your light that bypasses you and goes straight to the glory of the Father. There's also a way 
to shine your light that lands the plane on you and people glorify you. The first is worship. The second is idolatry. This is what Pharisees did. The Pharisees did great grand works, and they did it in such a way. I've been hammering this out with somebody every Monday for the past couple of weeks. The Pharisees walked up, they did their works of righteousness, and they puffed their chest and said, look how lighty and salty I am. Look how glorious I am. That is idolatry. That's Pharisee. But there is a way. We're designed to be such lighty and tasty and shiny that people see and they look and they go, golly, that, that, you're messing with my life. You're making me think about stuff. You're pointing me to Christ. I mean, there's all these things going on. And the response is not, you're dadgum right I am. The response is, I'm a bag just like you. And I need Jesus, and it's his glory alone. And it deflects all things to him. That's worship. That's true shining. That's true salt. And so as we wrap it up, because Christ is resurrected and united with me, I love the widow, I love the orphan, I love the sick, I love the needy, I love the illiterate, I love my neighbor, I love the Pharisee, I love the rich, I love the people on the other side of the political spectrum as me. I'm salt and light everywhere. Conclusion is this. Christ did not live the perfect life, endure the wrath of God, rise again, ascend to the right hand of the Father just so that we could live out the meme that's going around social media right now. He didn't do all that to say this. May or may not live for Christ today, I don't know. That's not even an option in the kingdom of Christ. We live for him because he lived and died and bled. He busted hell wide open, not so that we could sit on our holy booties. I cleaned it up on Easter Sunday. He busted hell wide open so that we could freely live as salt and light. Listen, church, as Russell Moore said this morning, Dear friends, yesterday we were dead, but because of Easter, we're now alive. <laughs> Let's live it. Let's live it. Band, come on back up. If you're not experiencing this, that the text is calling us to, then it is a great question to ask, well, why not? Why am I not experiencing Christ? Because here's the deal. If this is true, and I'm going to argue on the basis of Scripture, it is, then a natural byproduct occurs. And so I want to speak to three groups of people, and then we'll sing. For the unbeliever. For the one here in the room today who goes, Oh, I only came because my mom wanted me to. I don't believe any of this garbage. Here's what I would say to you. What will you do with your guilt at the end of the day? 
what will you do? Will you blame Mother Nature? I didn't know. Will you go, I didn't have enough time? Well, you're hearing the gospel today. <laughs> will you go, well, I just worried more about what they thought of me. Then the Lord will say, well, then you can go worship with them forever without me. Why would you rest on your own righteousness? It's Christ and Christ alone. Trust in his finished work today. Don't wait. So unbeliever, give your life to Christ today. Easter. It looks like this. Confess your sin. You trust that Christ's righteousness will sufficiently cover your sin. And you commit to him as Savior and Lord in everything. And right now, some of you are so nervous and your heart's about to pound out of your chest. You're like, I wish this dude would shut up and quit talking about that. Don't worry about me. That's the Spirit knocking on your heart, not this dude. Trust in Christ today. Let today be the day of salvation. Believers. Oh, man. I could preach a whole other sermon, but I'm not because I promised you, time-wise. Hey, church, let's don't live like mud. The world doesn't need another group of people living like mud. Let's clean it up. Well, I botched it up yesterday. Good, Christ died for that. Let's clean it up and live anew tomorrow. That's what grace is all about. It's scandalous. It draws a clean line in the sand and gives us hope for tomorrow. Start after you eat your marshmallow peep. Right? No, don't do that. Do it before. Okay because it may choke you to die. Okay, I'm way off. <laughs> now. The resurrection in a cute story. It's real. And it's got super real consequences. Happy Easter. He's risen. He's risen indeed. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for taking what is not beautiful and making it beautiful. Thank you that by your grace you would take people who were sour and make us salty. Thank you that you would take people who were in darkness and you would show us the great light of your love. Thank you that you didn't have to but as a holy God, you stepped out to bleed and die for a bunch of mud. May Easter baffle us, not just today in our clothes. Now, may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.